Healthcare Unfiltered, a Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. I'm going to admit that I wish I was not taping this podcast, but I am. This podcast tackles the tragedy of COVID-19 in India. I feel as if this just happened all of a sudden. Three weeks ago, I don't think I knew that things were really that bad in India. And suddenly we're hearing about tragic scenarios, tragic situations with so many cases and so many deaths happening in India. And I recall last year, so many theories about why India was not ravished by COVID-19. And some of these theories were related to mitigation efforts, but others were related to the fact that maybe there's cross immunity, maybe there's lack of obesity, whatever it is. But the reality is, given what's happening right now, all of these theories right now are just simply wrong. Reality is COVID-19 is causing significant deaths and significant morbidity and mortality in India. And whatever is happening in India will eventually affect the rest of the world. There are many things why this is happening. But I think it is really very important to try to dissect the situation and try to understand what's happening on the ground. This is really very critical for us. But I'd like to go on record and say that I'm extremely disappointed with the U.S. response to the tragedy in India. Very disappointed, and I've been very vocal about this. I don't have any evidence yet that the vaccines that we have, the over 60 million AstraZeneca vaccines that we have in the U.S. have been shipped to India. I've heard a lot of statements from the government about these vaccines will go to India, but I have not had any evidence about this yet. In fact, I will be asking my guests as to whether they know if these vaccines have arrived to India. And I have two physicians on today's podcast from India that we are going to talk about COVID-19 in that beautiful country. So the U.S. response has been tragic. How difficult it is to get oxygen to India. How difficult it is to get PPEs and how difficult it is to get these vaccines. Well, we'll find out. But uh, in order for us to really be able to dissect what's going on, I think the best way is to make sure that we get information from the ground. And because of this, I have invited Dr. Nikita Mera, who lives in India, actually, and Dr. Parameswaran Hari, who is an Indian immigrant who lives in the U.S. Dr. Mera is an associate professor of medical oncology at Cancer Institute. She has a lot of interest in plasma cell dyscrasias, multiple myeloma, MGUS, and so forth. Uh, Dr. Parameswaran Hari is the Chief of Oncology at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and he's an expert in cellular therapy and transplantation, as well as myeloma and so forth. But Hari, he goes by Hari, was in India when this actually happened, and Nikita lives in India. So they both have agreed to come on the show and share with me and you, my listeners, what has been going on with India. I don't feel that I have the mood to plug the show today. So you know where to find me. Without further ado, Drs. Mera and Hari discussing COVID-19 in India. 
exclusively on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Well, it is really my pleasure and honor to host uh, a dear friend and a colleague, uh, Dr. Paramiswar. Uh, but Hari, I always call you Hari. You have to I tell me, Paramiswar. Do I say Paramiswaran? Yes, that's very good. Yeah, very good. Did I, not, did I promise me I did not slaughter your name? No, you didn't actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, really, my my dear colleague, Dr. Paramiswaran Hari. Uh, we all call him by Hari. Uh, although I admit I wish I was interviewing him on this podcast under different circumstances, but um, the reason that we really wanted to talk today was, frankly, the tragic events in India and uh, what has happened with COVID-19. I personally have been following the news uh, daily, if not hourly, via social media, and, and the, 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 the scenes and the, what I'm witnessing is just tragic. And then I learned via social media that Hari happened to actually been in India um, during all of these things that's going on, and he just returned to the States. So I've invited him to come on the podcast, and he generously accepted to talk about what he saw on the ground, what actually happened, what's going on, try to understand what happened, and hopefully try to come up with proposed solutions for management and how we can help. I mean, we view this as really a public health uh, messaging. Hari, welcome to the show. Uh, we both agree that we wish we were Thank talking you. about myeloma and transplant and lymphoma and other things, but, we, but we're not. Just, for, just to level set, for folks who have not met you and uh, don't know you, just a little bit of a background about you as an academician, as a physician, and uh, what you do and where you work. So um, I'm the chief of uh, hematology oncology at the Medical College of Wisconsin in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and um, I basically am a um, cellular therapy, bone marrow transplant type of doctor. Um, I have, uh, you know, uh, so basically a little bit of immunology, a little bit of hematology, um, and um, also now, nowadays more into gene therapy, gene modified cells and all that. Um, my disease is, has always been multiple myeloma for the last 20 plus years. So I do, uh, that's the only disease I de deal with as a disease. Everybody else I see in my clinic is a patient with uh, a, a, a transplant problem. So I see patients with myeloma for every kind of indication and for uh, diseases that can be transplanted or gene therapy, everything from sickle cell or hemophilia, all the way I, I treat anything that can be treated with gene therapy too. And, uh, and Hari, you, uh, you, uh, while working at MCW, you had to deal with the COVID-19 in the U.S. Uh, with your patients and as chief of oncology from an administrative perspective, of course, in terms of triaging and things like that. Were things easing up at least uh, at your hospital and what you're doing, let's say, towards the end of 2020, in the beginning of 2021? Did you notice significant improvement? Yeah, so um, every um, like every other hospital in the U.S., we kind of went into lockdown mode uh, at the end of October, October, end of March of 2020, and then we had a lot of uh, you know we did some innovative things in that we were one of the first hospitals. We we actually did distance rounding. We actually um, had uh, you know our um, inpatient units were basically uh, led by physician assistants and nurse practitioners as well as the doctors. And we went to a system where uh, the team would sit at a different location from the ward and one person would be on site. And we would keep that person on for a week 
and then we would test them coming in and coming out so that they didn't get COVID from the patients. And we actually uh, would actually also institute a system of asymptomatic COVID screens on every patient who's inpatient uh, on every Monday. So once a week, we would test patients. So we actually did some innovative things. Even with all that, we've lost um, at least um, in, uh, two or three patients to inpatient COVID, uh, which you know either a um, um, caregiver brought in for them or uh, you know a transmission that we could not source. You know we could not source who got it from. Uh, but we managed to survive the uh, pandemic reasonably well in Wisconsin, um, and we um, actually did not skimp on our services, especially for bone marrow transplant. We actually did more transplants in 2020 than any other previous year. We didn't actually shut down the program at all. Yeah, that's that, that's really very good. And Hari, you're originally from India. Correct. Um, which part of India are you from? So I come from the very southern tip of India. So if India is like uh, America, I would be coming from the Key West. So the, the southernmost tip of India, the of the triangle. Um, so um, it's a place called Kerala, and I'm at the southern end of Kerala, right on the ocean. Okay, and you've been here for a long time? Yes, I, I left India almost 30 years ago. So it's, a, it's a, more than half of my lifetime has been abroad. So... So, and, you know, when the pandemic started in 2020, I, I presume you have a lot of family and friends still in India. Still, yes. You were checking on them. I mean, how were things in 2020 and towards the end of 2020, I, I'm, you know, as you were checking on them and making sure they're okay and so forth, how, how were things? What, were, what was your understanding of what's happening on the ground? So, um, you know, I, I was active in India in, in the pandemic front uh, right from April of 2020. So I went on um, television in India probably at least 20 or 30 times, uh, joined chat shows and uh, international and uh, regional level uh, television programs, uh, sat there and had uh, interactions because, uh, you know, I was leading American Society of Hematology's plasma uh, therapy efforts originally as a, um, as a hematologist and, uh, and a, a, and a um, immunologist. I, Kind of understood the um, plasma world, so we actually I did a lot of education here about that, and the people in India heard about it and they wanted to set up similar programs there. So I was helping to do that there, and obviously the plasma uh, program was not as successful as we thought it was. You know, a lot of reasons we can go into that later if you have time. But um, so I've I've been very involved with the the uh, pandemic effort in India um, through this uh, you know through the lockdown and sitting at home and being able to communicate via Zoom and all these other technologies. Um, the, the, but the pandemic in India followed a different trajectory, as you know, uh, as opposed to the pandemic in, in, in Europe or in America. So the, the timeline was completely different in India. And as you know, you know now is the time when it's all exploding. So you, you but in 2020, you were uh, helping in your intellectual knowledge um, uh, the India and the Indian people from here. You were not there. No, I was not there. Yeah. Right. And then I just learned from you that you were there two weeks ago when uh, in the middle of everything. So first of all, why did you go there? Was this a planned trip? Uh, just, just tell us how did this happen and uh, take us so, through your visit. Yeah, the, the trip this time was just coincidental. And I actually um, thought that things were not going to be, you know, too bad, too bad. I thought things would be okay right now. And I thought the pandemic is slowing down. And to be honest, India is the, India has vaccinated 
the second largest number of people just behind the US. Uh, the, the country that has vaccinated maximum number of their citizens is the United States. And India is right behind the United States in the number of people vaccinated. But as a percentage, India is very, very low. So it's just the number of people in India. Uh, and so I thought the vaccination efforts going well in India. So I might as well go there. Um, and now is the time to go. And this is the earliest time to go. So I go there. I, I got my parents vaccinated with the worry that I might catch something on the flight, although I'm vaccinated too, uh, and then transmitted. So I had them vaccinated and I went there to see my parents and, you know, like many of us expatriates do, to help with their, their health and other things that since they're elderly, that's how I ended up there. Um, but once I landed there, I realized that India is on this upswing of this tremendous uh, straight up uh, para, uh, um, COVID um, nightmare right now. Um, and it's almost as if the entire country is like New York was in six years. So this was this was this caught you by surprise. Like you, you, you went surprise. there. Yeah, you went there. You thought everything is actually good, and you're yeah. going to visit your parents. And you got there, and the cases were just going up like crazy. Correct. What was your first reaction? Did you think like, what did I? What am I doing here? Yes. Um, uh, that obviously, you know, it, you are shocked by that. You know, obviously, you have to get a PCR when you go. You have to get a PCR at the airport. Um, because India was always worried about, at least in my state, they were worried about people bringing in the virus. So I had to have a PCR at the airport after I landed. The rest of India didn't have that. But the problem is that the focus was on people bringing in COVID, although they took their eyes off the ball. It's not just people bringing in COVID anymore. It's the people who were wandering around with COVID inside of India. Uh, once the virus is established in the population, there is really no reason to dis discriminate between the people bringing it in and the people who already have it. So that's one fundamental mistake India is you know, still making in that they're focusing on people bringing it in. It's not just the people, you know, it, they should be worried about people taking it out of India. We all, the rest of the world should be worried about people taking it out of India. People bringing it in is no longer a problem. So there's a lot of, you know, that was a strategy which worked at the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic started, you know, prevent it from getting in. It worked for a long time, but Sam broke. There was no more holding the dam back with that strategy. Yeah, I want to apologize a little bit for listeners where we get a little bit of interruption sometimes when we speak, you speak. It's possibly from the internet connection. So just want to apologize for folks who are listening. Uh, look, I mean, I wasn't there. My information that I get um, are all from the news, whether it is TV, network, social media, and so forth. And I'll be the first to admit, I sometimes don't know the truth. Uh, sometimes there may be an exaggeration uh, to minimize things or even to maximize things. Um, right. You were there. Tell us exactly what was going on in terms of the people and then the hospitals uh, and then the physicians and just try maybe to paint a picture for listeners into what was the ground game looking like. So I was in two cities. Uh, one, my own hometown, which is uh, in the south of India, um, you know, in, in, in a place called Kerala, this is a city called Trivandrum. So that's where I was uh, for most of my time. And then I went to New Delhi, which is at the epicenter of all the COVID action, as you know, right now. So I was in two cities. Um, in, in, in my hometown, the test positivity rate is in the 20%, 20 to 30%. So it's wow. a lot of people wow. who are test positive. Wow. However, the medical system is not being overrun with that point. You know, their medical system is a little bit more capable of dealing with it. 
and a lot of people are staying at home and many people are choosing. So many people, there is a lot more lit medical literacy uh, where I was in my hometown. Um, and a lot of people understand that young people with COVID may not get um, super sick. So they're not rushing to the hospital once they find out where they have COVID. Um, they are staying at home and only going to hospitals if they're um, in, in trouble. Um, whereas in Delhi, the hospitals are truly overwhelmed. Um, they, they're pretty much operating at 150% or 200%. People are uh, in corridors. People are turned away at the gates of the hospital. People with privilege, some, some of them who actually don't need to are in the hospital and, and occupying beds. And it's a complete uh, disruption of normal activity that has happened. And Delhi is one of these places that has run out of oxygen. Because what's, the, uh, what's of, the infection rate in Delhi? Uh, well, we actually don't have true counts because um, you know the the test positivity rate is actually a function of how many people show up. So a lot of people who show up at the gates have not even been tested. So, so they just show up because they have symptoms. They, they are short of breath and they're hypoxic, and a lot of people are sitting at home with pulse oximeters, and when they drop to like ninety percent, they're showing up at the hospitals. So this is being reflected in so we have only indirect evidence of what's going on in the, in, in cities like delhi um, from obituary columns from crematoria where people are dying and from you know personal experience i i know several people in delhi who are in hospitals so who have actually passed away um, and literally the, the minute before i, I came into no, we, i had a friend who we're gonna we're gonna talk about that i i, I actually have also the pleasure of uh, being joined right now by Dr. Nikita Mera, who is uh, joining us from India. Um, Nikita, Dr. Mera, welcome, welcome to the show. I know that you are early in India right now. What time in India is it right now and, and which city are you in? Uh, hi, Chadi. Good morning, and uh, uh, thank you uh, for the invitation. This is it's it's about six fifteen morning in uh, Chennai. I'm in uh, South India. And Nikita, uh, we started a little bit before you, Hari and I, but uh, I'm very glad that you were able to make it. Um, I'm, we're gonna, I wanna ask you a lot of questions, but just for listeners who are hearing you for the first time, maybe a little bit about uh, where you are, what you practice, what your area of expertise, and then we'll talk about obviously what we're talking about here. I wish we were having this conversation under different circumstances, but uh, well, you know, it is what it is. So um, I'm a medical oncologist um, and uh, um, I practice at uh, Adair Cancer Institute, which is uh, the regional cancer center uh, in uh, Tamil Nadu, which is uh, one of the large states uh, in uh, Southern India. And um, my area of interest is uh, plasma cell disorders. So do you know Hari from before? Of course I know, sir. <laughs> I know he's so famous, he's a celebrity, but you know, I mean, I didn't know like if you know him before and like through through academic work or even socially or even like through working in India because he's been participating, coming back and forth. No, so my mentor, uh, uh, I mean, has, uh, I think knows so well. So we've, um, I think uh, uh, you did not make it to Hematocon uh, two, three years ago and the entire hall was waiting for you to arrive. And I think- oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> right, good. It's good to shame him into this. I like that. I like that approach. But see, you guys, this is healthcare unfiltered. It's totally natural. We don't, we don't edit. We don't do anything. Whatever we talk about stays on. 
So, so uh, Nikita, I was talking to Hari. He was visiting India, and he had no idea how bad things were. And he literally landed, and, and things were, were, were happening. Now, you, you're, you live there. Did you actually, I mean, was this expected? Was it a gradual increase in cases? Was it, was it, you know, or just like overnight? I'm trying to understand because honestly, for me being in the US, I kind of feel overnight, I was just hearing that India is in a tragic situation. I, I never saw it coming, to be honest. Honestly, I don't think we saw it uh, coming this bad this time around because the first wave really wasn't uh, that bad and we we it was it was much to the contrary uh, in in many areas in many regions uh, of the world uh, but i think we've been having large gatherings this time around uh, there were there were elections in various states including mine so of course there were large election rallies and and uh, people had just i think um, after the first wave and because it did not hit them as hard they really didn't think it could it could ever get worse. So they they lost their guard, and of course you cannot blame. I mean I, I don't know, but you uh, the fatigue the the pandemic fatigue had set in. Of course, uh, of course there was a lot of last year. There were stringent lockdowns in place, etc. Uh, uh, etc. Et so this year, of course, uh, um, as a result of all of that, people had people lost their. Uh, Guard. But it was expected. We just didn't think it was going to hit us this bad. It was happening slowly. But um, in, in places like Bombay, I think in the last uh, three or four months, I mean, my, my friends and colleagues over there were beginning to go back work, um, go back home uh, early from work. They could spend more time with the family. But all of a sudden, it, uh, it did hit them um, in full uh, glory. Hari, um, you know, I recall there were so many theories uh, when the pandemic was really bad in the U.S. and in Europe. There were many theories circulating on social media as well as, you know, editorials. And I mean, I can't recount everything about how, why in India things were not as bad. And I think uh, theories ranged from all over, from, you know, cross immunity. I mean, so many things, right? And, you know, at the time, clearly given the low incidence, any type of theory appeared plausible. <laughs> um, right. In hindsight right now, it appears that all of these theories were wrong. So take me through your thoughts into the opinions back then when things were low and what you thought about that and do we think today that these were wrong theories because of what happened right now? So, um, so Chari, I would call them hypotheses to explain what people were observing. Um, so they were just hypotheses, and now many of these hypotheses have been proved wrong. So let, let's go through some of them. Um, so when the pandemic hit the U.S. and Europe very hard, India actually went into a premature lockdown. I'm sure Nikita would agree with that. Because what, what happened was the entire country did a lockdown and it forced a lot of people who were indigent and who were very poor to go back to their native villages. And a lot of people who work in uh, cities like Mumbai or uh, Delhi or uh, Chennai are from other states in India or they, they travel hundreds of miles to get to their workplace and they live there. And they were all forced to go 
luckily you know we are worried that these patients, these people were going back to their country, to hometowns and were going to transmit covid but luckily none of them actually had covid and there was not much transmission so the lockdown did work in india it's true um, and this was a premature lockdown so it worked really well uh, before too many cases had gotten into the population so the population prevalence was not so high when the lockdown was imposed and it worked and then some states there were state to state tra uh, travel bans some states had tight restrictions on who could come in from abroad uh, state there were flights that were done from america and all these places where indian people were living and they were wanting to go home so they had to wear ppe on the flights they had to mask up on the flights they took these 15 hour flights to get to their hometowns and none of them transmitted covid so that was why one of the big reasons why covid didn't happen and the other thing was that the elderly people were protected quite well and the transmission rate was thankfully quite low so this led to in my opinion a confidence level and a lot of theories to explain why indian people were not susceptible so but i did ask many of my friends there is really no infectious disease in the world uh, that you know india is less affected than other countries in the world because of the overcrowding and the population the way we live and the the social um structure of india is that people are in contact with hundreds of people there were 4000 people at my uh, you know uh, at, at at my friend's wedding um i'm sure nikita had a wedding where that was that 4000 thousands of people showed up 4000 you 4000 so it's those are the kind of indian people love to congregate indian people are very social and the events are you know and there's a lot of eating so we know that indoor transmission of this this is an indoor virus this virus tra gets transmitted indoor when there is people eating indoor and there's no masking and there you know the, the secretions and aerosols and all that so uh, all of those activities big marriages big events big social events everything was shut down for a prolonged period of time and as nikita pointed out pandemic fatigue then set in and unfortunately the indian government and many state governments actually declared premature victory somewhere around january and february and then they decided to have this election yeah but but hari what what you're suggesting is a little bit different than what i was hearing or yeah. reading in terms of um, scientific or i mean what you're suggesting is was mitigation efforts masking yeah. lack of gathering lockdown but i was hearing some other reasons like you know lack of less obesity rates um uh, t cell cross reacted nikita remember that i mean were, were you seeing those things absolutely i mean tuberculosis all the vaccinations the bcg got, yeah. bcg or uh, heat uh, right. and that india the, was the tropical climate country. heat yeah yeah so all of that i mean in hindsight all of these theories like is there were hypotheses but are, are are we ready to declare them wrong so i can tell you one thing chadi uh, chadi because when the pandemic started in march of 2020 very similar to what happened to me in april of 2021 i was in the country of peru and peru was one of the hardest hit countries in the beginning of the pandemic so i happened to be in peru um, and um i got to got on the last flight out of peru to the united states literally the very last american airlines flight out of peru is what took me back to the united states and i knew that heat was not a mitigating factor because peru is a very hot country and when i left lima that morning that was like 85 degrees fahrenheit and people were you know literally that was you know many parts of peru had the worst 
outbreak, even very similar to what we see in India, and in fact, sometimes even worse. So uh, that was one thing. Second thing was the BCG hypothesis. It's such an off tangent hypothesis that I, you know, we, we really didn't have any proof for that. Cross reactivity, I kind of bought into it a little bit because uh, there were many studies that came from Germany and other places that suggested that among random blood donors, about 20% of patients, 20 to 30% had uh, cross-reactive T cells and cross-reactive B cells against uh, SARS-CoV-2. But the problem was that we don't know um, whether this cross-reactivity was protective against severe infection, protective against any infection, protective against being a carrier and transmitting it as an asymptomatic carrier. It's one of the things that we know that asymptomatic carriers are the critical factor in transmission. Yeah. I am learning, by the way, Nikita, a lesson, which is do not be in the same country as Hari is. This is the best mitigation effort is wherever Hari is, make sure you're as far as possible from where he is. Wherever he goes, he brings, I don't know, that seems like. Um, but but um, so, so, so what I'm hearing, and Nikita, please chime in, that lots of mitigation efforts early on helped clearly more than the biological uh, scientific explanations and the premature declaration of victory and relaxation of these efforts were the ones that led to this were vaccines not being administered i mean so the relaxation happened without vaccination so the vaccines came in um, a little later i think uh, they came in about three uh, months ago and um, uh, the first phase that uh, was vaccinated was healthcare workers. Uh, so yes, mitigation happened uh, a little before the vaccines were out, but the vaccines were, were out for a very uh, small group of, uh, uh, a very small group was eligible. Uh, we have two vaccines in the country. One is uh, the AstraZeneca uh, Oxford vaccine, which is manufactured here by Serum Institute called the Covishield, and the other is um, the one by Bharat Biotech, uh, which is uh, Covaxin. There has been, um, there's certainly been vaccine hesitancy because it first, it was first uh, rolled out for the healthcare workers. Uh, they were demanding more, da more data. So yes, I mean, um, large numbers unfortunately did not take the vaccine and it was then uh, sort of uh, it, it, it started out for uh, the elderly uh, people vaccine hesitancy has been an issue um, but then you also hear reports about vaccines enough vaccines not being uh, available in in uh, big cities and sometimes in the smaller cities yeah, I'm trying to get how much of the lack of vaccination is vaccine hesitancy or vaccine inavailability. I think vaccine hesitancy is becoming less of an issue now because yeah. the virus has obviously has taken over, has ravaged across the entire country. Um, among the two brands, now some of them are unfortunately wanting to choose between uh, the two. And for example, if, if you want Covaxin, it presently is available only as a second dose. If someone has taken it, uh, has taken Covaxin previously, they, they might be able to get the second. But if you want to start with Covaxin, it might not be possible in many parts uh, of the country. Uh, now that is leading to a bit of an issue. 
um bombay did uh, did uh, did put out messages uh, yesterday that they don't have vaccines for the next 3 uh, uh, days available which is which is a big deal um, at the moment uh, they are uh, in the middle of an intense uh, lockdown and they don't have vaccines for 3 days they said we'll uh, let you know on uh, 2nd of may uh, maharashtra mumbai uh, uh, falls under maharashtra has probably vaccinated the largest uh, numbers across uh, the country hari was telling us about the you know um we we talk, i mean from a vaccine i want to talk about the vaccine a little bit because I, i'm curious um hari into um in a situation like this do we really need to give two doses for everyone how about give one dose to more people like why do i mean i mean i don't know maybe i'm not an immunologist not a vaccine expert for my listeners but i'm just i'm being pragmatic like if i can get 70% protection for more people better than 90% protection for less people am i crazy no no you have you bring up a very very good point uh, you should remember we had this debate uh, in the us and many other countries who do you vaccinate first do you vaccinate the people who are more at risk of dying which means the above 65 above 80 all those people or do you vaccinate the people who are more at risk of transmitting that's a philosophical question in a country like india where overcrowding um is a major problem the vaccine went to people who are elderly people who are healthcare workers and people who are privileged people who are educated those are the same people in india unfortunately who can afford to work from home who don't need to get out of their houses who can protect themselves and who are who can also do social distancing the person who actually sells um fruits on the street the person who has to get out of their house or those people are younger and they are poor and they live a daily life you know the, the money they make in the in during the course of the day is what feeds their family that night and the next morning so those people should probably be vaccinated ahead of the people who are more at risk for dying if we want to break the chain in india and I, i you know that's it it's a it, this virus has told us that this is not just a medical or immunological issue this is a socio political economic issue and that is many countries have forgotten that so nikita who makes this decision in india i mean who makes like let's say i mean who can make the decisions that we are going to vaccinate more people with one dose versus less people with two doses uh, can the government say this is what we are doing is this like who holds the power policy wise to say this is what we are doing because of x y and z so in this diverse um, uh, nation of us while health is a state issue all the decisions for covid uh, related to absolutely everything that you can think of including vaccines are taken by the center the central government makes these decisions um along with the uh, uh, health authorities and other health bodies one is uh, the icmr so if they do want to uh, change the policy and say everyone gets one dose it is going to have to come from them unfortunately nobody else is going to be able to take the call and i wish they sorry i'm sorry no no is it like is yeah, there yeah. A, does the public trust is there a public trust into this uh, the central government I mean I'm sure there are a lot of issues at the moment given the situation we uh, are in so it wouldn't be uh, it is not surprising that uh, there are a lot of concerns 
yeah. uh, center. Are you are you seeing that uh, they want to use one dose more, or you're seeing? Have you seen any changes? There's absolutely no talk about giving just one dose, while the healthcare workers are clearly seeing, um, a, a, you know, improvement in in the way patients present after one dose. Also, yeah. Uh, my mother had COVID recently. She taken just uh, one uh, dose. A lot of them are mild. They don't. So she had uh, the COVID after the first dose. Much. I mean, she was due for the second dose and uh, picked it right. up. Yes, yeah. it was mild. I, told you, I have personal experience with at least eight or nine people, including actually one of my colleagues here in the here in Milwaukee, who has uh, developed COVID after both doses. Um, and he caught it from a family member who had traveled from another country, um, and um, he he had a mild COVID, basically yeah. a one day of fever. And to be abundantly cautioned, he went and got a PCR, was positive, and in two days he's actually PCR negative. So the immune system did take care of COVID, and um, so vaccinated people do get COVID, but much less transmission, much less serious sickness. Uh, Nikita, we're taping this for listeners. We're taping this on April 29, 2021. It is April 30th, 2021 in India. What what are the number of cases and deaths today compared to yesterday and the day before? Are we still going up? Are we plateauing? Take us, what, what's happening now? So the state that was most affected, Maharashtra, has is turning the corner. Uh, cases have started, uh, they have started stabilizing and it did contribute to a very large percentage of the number of uh, cases. Maharashtra does a lot of tests. They've got a very, very large population. Um, the testing is a concern in many parts of the country. While the, while the numbers are going up, the tests sort of remain uh, static. So um, the numbers are going up. I I've stopped looking at the numbers. I mean, it, it really, there are so many years. Mm-hmm. You have heart-wrenching discussions with your friends, colleagues, with, with, with strangers across the country. You're trying to help each other in this crisis. Some parts of uh, the country are, are privileged in terms of the healthcare uh, we get. And some states aren't. So we're really trying to, we're, we're in touch all the time, trying to sort of, help each other the uh, most that we can. The numbers are going up. The death rate is going up. In terms of nationwide statistics, I don't think we've turned the corner. We are hearing a lot of reports that there is no oxygen, that people are simply dying because of hypoxia. They're unable to get uh, you know, oxygen, which to me, it's mind boggling. Is, is that true? Is that an exaggeration of the media? Is that, I, I, I take it, I want to hear from you both. It is not an exaggeration by the media. Um, these were SOS calls put out by not many media channels. They, they, there were very few who started putting out the data on how many hours of oxygen was left in various hospitals. Oxygen shortage has been an issue in some parts of the country. It could become an issue in many parts. We're just hoping the government is working. Hari, that's your understanding as well. I mean, I, I know right. you, you were sharing with me a heart-wrenching story of a friend of yours, but I mean, I, I, we can't even get oxygen to people in 2021? 
Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Uh, this, uh, especially in the big cities with uh, limited um, a number of hospitals. Uh, you know, Delhi is a city of almost uh, 25, 30 million people. It's a huge city, and the, the resources are limited. Uh, whether it's oxygen or uh, hospital beds or doctors being able to take care of patients, those resources will run out at some point. You know, we always talked about flattening the curve. Toolbox still remains breaking the transmission and reducing the rate of infection. If every Indian got infected over a period of one year, wouldn't be a problem. The problem right now is that all Indians are getting infected in a very short time. And there is probably a variant there, the B1.617 variant, which is probably more infective. Um, and that is the R0 or the number of people get, that get infected from one person is a little higher with that. And that has something to do too, I think. How about, I mean, we, you know, we understand steroids and remdesivir, Nikita, are at least forms of therapies that we implement in, in select patients. Are these available in, in India? Again, I, uh, we have read about reports uh, where DEXA is becoming a concern in some places uh, because of its non-availability, but by and large, steroids are uh, available um, everywhere. Uh, remdesivir, I mean, I, I think it's it's overused once a patient is admitted with, even if the patient has got uh, mild symptoms and is admitted, I guess there are patients insisting, doctors prescribing, uh, remdesivir is very, very difficult to get. So at least in our state, it is uh, it is tightly controlled by the state government because there is there is uh, indiscriminate uh, use. So there are ways in which you can go and uh, get them. And I'm sure they are little uh, uh, hotspots right now, the remdesivir collection uh, areas, designated uh, areas, because there are large queues. Even yesterday, I saw a report on, on about 400, 500 people gathering together to all get remdesivir for their family members. So remdesivir, yes. A short supply, but a, a lot of it is is because of um, our judgment. And, and uh, you're you're seeing less patients now in the cancer center. You're like canceling a lot of unnecessary. Like you're you're trying to uh, triage things. So because we are a regional cancer center, I mean we've all taken the vaccine. We've not reduced uh, uh, the numbers just yet in the hospital, because last year. With the lockdown, there were many who could not make it at all. We've had we've had so many patients who relapsed. There were so many patients who couldn't make it in time and have come with advanced disease. We do not want to shut down our OP services or, or the regular functioning of the hospital right now. The numbers have certainly come down. Of course, the regular follow-ups uh, aren't coming and we've been calling and telling them uh, not to uh, come at this time. But... Uh, we're seeing all the rest because there are so many hospitals that are only managing COVID um, and probably some who do not want to treat uh, malignancies right now. We do not want to turn them away. They may not have too many places to go to. Makes sense. Um, Hari, I know that you've talked to a lot of media uh, in India and, and trying to help in terms of managing the pandemic. So we have, we talked about oxygen. There is not a lot of oxygen. We talked about vaccines, not a whole lot of vaccines. We only have steroids and uh, we, remdesivir maybe is overused. What, I mean, what's, you know, what, what, I mean, do you, are you offering, do you tell people to take steroids prophylactically? Like, is there anything that could be done 
or somebody who captures the infection but not sick enough to prevent going to the hospital that are overcrowded. You know what I mean? Like you, you get infected, but you're not really have a severe infection, but we don't know how bad it's going to get. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a little bit of dexamethasone could, I know there's no data, but honestly, when you're dealing with, uh, I mean, I don't know if I need data at this point, you just try in life and death. I mean, what do you think? Uh, so uh, Nikita actually brought up a very important point. I have like, obviously, like most of the Indian diaspora doctors, I've been in, involved with them with many, many patients. There is for India is a multi-tiered healthcare system. So patients who have the ability to see doctors, they end up consulting four doctors for their COVID, mild COVID. And they end up on, I can tell you, I saw a prescription where a person was on ivermectin, um, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and um, one more drug, well, uh, doxycycline, four drugs. Um, and they were trying to get remdesivir. And this person actually did not need to get any medication. So they had an oxygen saturation of 90%. They had two or three fevers over the over course of two days. And they had a uh, pulse rate of like 85%, 85 per minute. And I had a tough time convincing the person that they really should not go out of the house and stay at home. On the other hand, there may be a few people for this one person, there may be five people out in the community who cannot afford to go to hospital. They've not even gotten tested for COVID, but they have fevers, they're short of breath. And when they're really, really sick, their family is trying to get them to the hospital. So for years, India has underinvested in its public healthcare system. We have a universal healthcare system in India, unfortunately, but it's super underfunded. And so we have ended up with corporate hospitals where you can do CAR T therapy or any therapy you want. And we have regular hospitals in district hospitals, primary healthcare centers, where even oxygen is not available. Uh, and I'd like to see what Nikita thinks about this analysis. Nikita. No, I completely agree. There is a, there is a huge discrepancy. You have the fanciest therapies available and uh, on the other hand, absolutely nothing. Um, one, another form of therapy that's, that's really gone out of control, plasma therapy. Yeah. I mean, there's so many studies that have debunked the role of convalescent uh, plasma, but it is rampant. CT screening. I mean, yep. these are potential places of, uh, uh, super spreading. Um, these are hotspots. Patients are everyone. A lot of them are, are, uh, referred for a CT chest screening. A lot of them are asymptomatic and mild, but uh, but the doctors say, I mean, we're only doing teleconsultations. We cannot see them because of these large numbers. So don't blame us for asking for a CT chest. So it's rampant. Unfortunately, in some parts of the country, teleconsults are not available. You cannot go and see doctors, of course, but you cannot even get in touch with your local doctors. It has become, so we're trying to help uh, uh, people in these states. You know, I, I, I can understand. I mean, I, I get the idea of, um, look, fear, fear lets you to do a lot of things. When Absolutely. you're afraid, you can do a lot of things. I can understand when somebody says, you know, oh, goodness, I mean, I'll take a pack. What the heck? I mean, how many times have we prescribed a pack for a viral illness because we got our arms twisted? Yeah. I, I could see how fear, I mean, whenever you're afraid of something, the last thing you're going to look at is a randomized control trial in the NG, NEGM. You're just really thinking, I'll take this and see what happens. Um, I, I think the, the question I have in a scenario where 
you have limited availability to hostel beds. Is there, are we in a situation where we are experiencing rationing of care? In other words, you know what I'm trying to get at. Are we in a scenario where you look at the patient and you say, I'm going to put patient A on the ventilator versus patient B because patient A has more comorbidities and older and life expectancy is less. I'm going to put the 50-year-old on a ventilator because are we there? I'm sure triage is um, is, is done rationally, but uh, in this equation, you need to bring in VIPs, celebrities, politicians, mm -hmm. bureaucrats. Uh, so regardless of um, uh, regardless of what the condition is, mild, moderate, uh, severe, age, etc., they are going to be given preference over over the rest of us. But by and large, I would think uh, it is they do triage rationally. Again, um, it, it, it's it's different across states. In some states, it's a lot more. Uh, there is a lot of sense and sensibility in some. Hari, are, are you, did you notice when you were there is a rationing of care where certain therapies are being offered to other people versus another based on certain criteria that if you're 80 years old and you get COVID and you have comorbidities, the chance of you coming off the vent are so low that we're not going to waste the vent on you. Are we there? Well, it's not as um, clear-cut rationing as it is uh, as had to be done in, say, Italy or France, where you know, doctors had to make these difficult judgments. India is a different, it's a it's societal, um, and their status in society, ability to pay, and as Nikita pointed out, um, some of these um, uh, power equations that run in. And it's just an unfortunate situation. It's not, uh, so we, uh, we have stories of some elderly person saying to his family, I don't want to be on a ventilator, and it should be used for a younger person. Uh, but on the other hand, if they were actually on the ventilator, I'm sure the family would never want them taken off. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it, so it, it's 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 a tough uh, situation. You know, um, in in this country, sitting here, it's very difficult to judge what people in India have to go through as physicians and nurses. And um, absolutely, absolutely, because it's a multi-level system. Uh, it yeah. is a highly um, polarized healthcare system. Are you seeing folks being taken off the vent after a specific period of time? If you're on the vent for seven time, for seven days, you're off because you're not going to come off. Again, this varies across states. Uh, in this in state no that I am, in, yes, I mean it's difficult to generalize, but uh, at least over here, uh, there are there are so many patients who continue on the ventilator on oxygen support for days together. What you're also seeing now is is with with complete with entire family members uh, infected, uh, the young ones going on oxygen. There are many young members and now kids uh, going down with uh, COVID and are getting very sick. They require hospitalization for for two weeks at a stretch or even longer sometimes. And this is so many. This was very different from the first wave. In the first wave, a lot of them were elderly and with comorbidities. So one heard very rarely about uh, people going on a ventilator for a very long time. But now that isn't uh, uh, yeah. the case. So Hardy, I want to talk about the U.S. response as well as the world's response to India. Uh, because um, 
you and I we live in the U.S. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record to say I'm extremely disappointed with the U.S. response to 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 India. Um, I, I've been very vocal about this on social media. This is not about politics, and I think we you know me and you can agree this is really humanitarian. It really, I don't really care who the president is or who's the. This is to me, the U.S. should be able to send ventilators oxygen tanks it 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 takes less than a day to get all of these things to to india um we have stockpiles millions and millions of astrazeneca vaccine that we are they, they, i don't think they're still i mean all, all i hear is statements that we are going to send them i don't believe they're there yet nikita will verify if they are there or not uh, but a i want you if if i'm off correct me but as an Indian immigrant who came to the U.S., how satisfied or dissatisfied are you with the U.S. government response to help India? So I'm definitely um, not satisfied at all. Um, so uh, we, it's the AstraZeneca vaccine, to put things in perspective, is the main vaccine that is being used in India. And for us in the U.S. sitting here, it's a strategic stockpile. It's not the vaccine that's being rolled out in India. It's not even approved in the U.S. So it's not the vaccine that we use in the U.S., it's a strategic stockpile. It's not as if the 60 million or 100 million doses that are in our strategic stockpile here is going to be used. So at this point in the crisis, it's best to send them to where it's needed. So, uh, I, you know, so that's one really self-defeating proposition because if we don't help India, the virus is going to be here too. You know, it's a variant. Absolutely. This is a global virus. Absolutely. Um, so, the, I, I'm, so that's one. And then the other thing, you know, the response has been too slow and too hesitating. Nikita, did I mean, we heard statements in the, from the U.S. government, from, I don't know, the White House and some other people, government officials that are so famous and that we are sending the vaccines, we are going to do, we issued this, we issued that. Have you received any of these vaccines? No, not yet, but we're very hopeful. Yeah, but we have a lot of statements that we are saying, hey, hey, we are just sending this, but nothing has happened to the ground. So, you know, we need a lot of help. Even yesterday, I was talking to a colleague of mine from Delhi, and he said it's 10 times worse than whatever you, you are You're hearing. In the media. He said, believe me. And yeah. he said, stop asking us, we have COVID. Of course, I have COVID. I am on my day six. Yes, I am coughing. My saturation is about 94, 95. So it's it's really bad. I mean, stories, Delhi is privileged. It's the capital of the country. Some of the places are not at all represented. It's it's so but but, 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 but the statements that we heard from the US government that they are sending the vaccine, these vaccines have not made it to India yet. No, they haven't. I mean, hurry! It's a 13-hour flight. What? How? How many hours does it take to get the vaccines there? It's about 14 hours. Yeah, it's about 14 hours of flying. Yeah. Can we lobby here? Can we try to do anything? I mean, I mean, I keep screaming on social well, media. I what think there's a commitment do? to send it. At least the vaccines. There's a commitment to send. It. Yeah, but we need um, to send it before people die. I mean, you know, absolutely. I don't need to send it like next month. What the? What's the point? We need vaccines. We need a lot of it. We need all the support uh, that 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 we can get uh, from within the country and from everyone uh, across the nation. I mean, across the world. 
um, the global sal- solidarity is is very heartening we want to see it um, i mean the villages the towns aren't represented at all and the right. virus has in the first wave it did not reach the smaller parts um, of of the country and now it has they aren't being represented and we really need to nikita are there are there um, do you have enough ppes again varies across uh, the country yeah. i'm sure there will be a shortage if there isn't uh, one already um varies across states some states are are a little better off than the others and in some i'm sure it's i i am just flabbergasted i'm just honestly flabbergasted to the fact that we haven't been able to send 60 million vaccines that we have sitting there for no use i, I honestly just have no idea i'm just i'm just trying to understand the logical reason and i just can't find it i mean i can't find it this could be this will save thousands and thousands of lives mm-hmm. i mean it's uh, it's crazy what can we do here for us i mean we have i mean aside from going to actually tweet right now all in capital letters please send the az vaccines to um to india and i'm sure a lot of people will block me and mute me if they think this is a political tweet but it's actually a humanitarian tweet but what can we do is there i was talking to hari nikita before you joined in that i'm a little bit always weary about certain donations that we do financially in to areas that we don't know where the money goes like i i you know you never know is there anything that we can do to help the indian people i mean thank you for everything you're doing just just put the pressure on everyone abroad that we are in an absolute crisis india the indian subcontinent i i did see a picture uh, yesterday we are uh, suffering yes i mean there are credible organizations there are very good uh, organizations if one can identify them please uh, donate to them but what we do need is is supplies so vaccinations ppe dexamethasone um and some of the other drugs that you do think are useful are needed in very 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 large numbers because it is not getting better anytime soon it is only getting worse we need all the help right away absolutely hari can we can we rally the medical community here to pressure the government somehow and i mean I, like what can we we are here in the us me and you what can we do I don't know how to put pressure except just keep screaming on social media what what can we do uh, well I think um, one thing is to um um you know the vaccine part I think it's pretty much solved I'm sure the vaccines got going to land in India the couple of other things is that well, I agree but we'd like to let we'd have it we need to land yesterday not next month that's the point <laughs> right absolutely uh, but the other thing is to send some of these things you know India needs a lockdown right now and also we need to get ppes and n95 masks and all that you know the the we need to break that chain the chain of transmission is what's going on right now that has to be broken first um so along with vaccination we need that and the third thing is that we need to kind of hold on to the fact that you know people who are mildly infected or moderately infected who can get stay at home they should stay at home and leave resources to the people who truly need them so we just need to a little bit you know reorientation of the priorities yeah no i agree nikita you going to say something we also need the right messaging uh, uh, to the country 
and these mixed messages are confusing uh, people especially the ones who aren't represented or the less privileged right uh, there needs there need to be people going out and talking to everyone about 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 covid i mean we have all the information uh, at our fingertips but uh, the the less privileged are absolutely unaware they hearing mixed messages yes vaccines work no vaccines don't work um yes the virus exists no there is there isn't anything at all this is an exaggeration we need all our public health experts to come together and, and maybe the world can uh, sort of sort of help us organize and um, show us the right way uh, to do it because we are failing and we need help well i hope somebody is listening to this um you know we are going to air this asap and uh, we we're you know i think what we need to do we're going to keep really trying to put the pressure on social media and uh, uh and you know uh, i'm sure you've lost some friends and and colleagues and families and hari was just sharing with me a heart-wrenching story um hari do you want to tell listeners about the story at least whatever you can share yeah so you know literally the minutes before i came on this uh, podcast just got news that one of my friends brother who's also a friend of mine passed away after being on a ventilator for about a week and then they put him on an ecmo so this is a highly privileged individual um but you know it 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 doesn't follow the social norms you know indian people are you know everybody is at risk and again you know one of the things that this virus has taught us is that we are all in this together uh, a problem in india is a problem in america a few days later so uh, it was a problem in america and europe now it's a problem in india and there was the, the premature declaration of victory the premature trying to find out why any people are not getting sick it was just a matter of time and some and it's not really a medical pure medical problem it is actually a socio economic and a um, you know um, a problem that's much broader than we think yeah nikita do you want to share any stories or final thoughts with listeners no i mean it's just the same uh, we're not even surprised anymore i mean people across all age groups there are so many we know and and we hear stories of them dying every single day nothing surprises us anymore even i mean as we speak there is there is a, a colleague whose husband is who's, who has been on oxygen he's got moderate to severe uh, uh covid i mean he 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 was very careful he did not step out unfortunately had no access to the vaccine this is just one story there are so there are so many and and we all know these people these are not these are not vague uh, uh, stories these are people we know dying every single day uh, coming down with severe covid i mean we what is what are the long term implications going to be the long covid the lung damage yeah i mean i was going to say i mean whether you believe in long covid or you don't believe i think we we still don't know the true long covid it's hard to tell but if there is long covid and there's really subsequent damage to the lung that lasts for a long time all of these survivors are going to really have significant disabilities okay well look um you both have been very generous with your time uh, and with your um uh, just being with us and i really appreciate um you coming on the show because i wish we were talking about oncology actually and and just other things but 
I do view this as a very important uh, message to listeners and, and hopefully it sheds some light into the tragedy that's going on in India and we'll be able to, to help in any capacity that we can. I want to leave uh, each with you with the final thoughts. Uh, I'll start with you, Hari. Any final thoughts you would like to tell listeners? Um, so um, all I would say is that for the people who are watching this, especially in America or Europe or the extended Indian diaspora, please um, you know, encourage uh, people to help by putting pressure on your um, elected officials and um, your governments to send vaccines, send, send oxygen supplies, send medications. There's a real problem that medications could be running out fairly soon to antibiotics, steroids, all those things could be running out. The massive demand on the system. And um, you can please try to help. And like Nikita said, there are several credible organizations which are helping. Um, so you could get your donations directed. There are also specific funds that allocate money you donate to vaccines. And that would also be another way of help. Nikita, any final thoughts? I would just like to thank the global community for uh, for your voice. I mean, until a few days ago, we weren't hearing anything, but but our stories are heard. Um, we feel special. We feel uh, we are represented. We know you're uh, out there um, uh, cheering for us. You want you want things to get better for us. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your pressure. Thank you for everything you'll do. We need it. And, and we're doing much better now with, with all that pressure and, and with all the voices uh, from everyone across the country. Please, please keep it uh, uh, going. And we will win this. Uh, we are in this together. Uh, we will come out vict uh, victorious, but only with everyone's support from within the country and uh, elsewhere. No, I really appreciate this. The one thing, Nikita, you have to promise me that when you invite Hari for a conference next year when everything is over, he just, he comes as a package deal. I'm coming with him. <laughs> I was just going to say that we cannot, I mean... It's over, that's it. Yeah. I think you're very well aware, so we'll be yeah. more than happy to. Yeah, no, I'll... Post. I don't know what I will talk about, I, I, but I'll, I'll find something. I'll find something. I'll do a podcast. I'll do a podcast. Yeah. All right, yeah. guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nikita. Be safe. Uh, we're praying for you. Thank you, Hari. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I really appreciate your support, and I hope that you learned from the ground the truth about what's going on in India about COVID-19. Reach out to your friends and colleagues and provide any support that you can get. This is a disaster that is happening there. And unless we are able to work on this together as a global community, it's going to affect all of us. Uh, you can find the Healthcare Unfiltered on all podcast outlets, but I would like for you to subscribe to the show, rate the show, and uh, write a brief review. Refer a friend or a colleague to the show. And uh, also, you can let me know how the show is going and any thoughts by sending me uh, an email to chadinabhan00 at outlook.com or direct messaging me on Twitter at chadinabhan. That's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N. And let me know what you think of the show and if you have any suggestions or any ideas into how we can improve the show. And before I let you go, I want to leave you with a quote from the Dalai Lama. 
and I really feel it's fitting for today's podcast. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. Until next time, take care.